Wow, phone, fuck you. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> the autocorrect that it just did to me. Are we recording? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, because this will be just a fun, I imagine this is going to be the cold open Probably. once you hear it. So my phone just autocorrected me. A friend of mine messaged me, hey, what's for dinner? Because I usually cook things. Right. However, because of this tonight, I'm not cooking and I was planning on going to Piata. So I typed Piata, then my phone corrected it to loads. <laughs> Girl! Huh. Like, first of all... <laughs> I am in this picture, and I don't like it. Hi kids, it's Candy Code and Razor Blades. I'm your host, Bob, and I don't like bees. (laughs) (laughs) And here's my co-host, RC. Stephanie is out today. Unfortunately, she has rehearsal. Introduce yourself, please. Hi, I'm RC, and this is my third goddamn pick because I have the worst luck and timing. (laughs) Ah, shit. Uh, so tell the story. Okay, tell so it. one of the things I'm not going to spoil, because it is, uh, well, I've, we've talked about it on the podcast before, so it's not really spoiling. Yeah. So my original pick for this week was Hell House LLC, which Stephanie and I are both big fans of. Right. Um, then we found out that she wasn't going to be here this week to record, so I put off that and on Sunday, because I forgot that it was the end of the month. Oh, God, that's right. On Sunday, I chose and watched and didn't write up. But I, I chose and watched and like prepared for another film called uh, Bleed Reap the Flesh, which I also don't mind spoiling because it's not even on Netflix anymore. And it's also super forgettable. Yeah. Um, so I was prepared for that and I realized halfway through that movie that I had, in fact, watched it. Um, (laughs) it's that forgettable I I realized uh, I was like this all seems really familiar to me and then I did in fact watch the whole thing Um, and then Bob went to watch it so that uh, yesterday so that I think it was yesterday right yesterday Yesterday, so that we could record today and find out that because Sunday was the last day of the month or Monday was one of the two um, it is no longer on Netflix because of the month rollover right so, Candyman to the rescue, <laughs> but only in this specific context. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. No, there, there's no, no, no rescuing. No. From the Candyman. There was not. No. But, you know, and I totally blew my opening. I was going to be all, who can bring the sun <laughs> Sprinkle it with uh, But he sprinkled it with bees. Right. Yes. <laughs> so many bees. So many oh, bees. Oh, the crunching. Bees. The crunching. I know. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to talk about that. We are. (laughs) Damn those noises. Um, Fuck. All right. So in talking about Candyman, I I really, truly, because I knew the context of this film, I tried to get representation. 
I really did. I asked like three people and they're like, I'm sorry, I can't. One was I can't, I'm working. One was I, I, I don't even remember the reason for the other, but the third was I don't watch horror movies. Mm. And, and he's like, did Jordan Peele direct it? If he did, I'm in. I'm like, no, he didn't. not yet. No, no, seriously. No, he is in fact directing a remake of candy band. This is real. Oh my God. Yay. I'm not fucking with you. Oh, damn. <laughs> ha. Finally, <laughs> finally. Well, here's the stupid thing. The original story by Clive Barker, it's called the forgotten. Yes. Uh, it's not about black people. It's about poor people living in a project and kind of basing their life around this urban legend. Mm -hmm. Um, And it still follows the basic premise the whole way through. But it's not about black people. I think this one's a better story, frankly. Yeah, it is. It really is a better story. Had it not been told by a white person. Well. (laughs) It would be. There's that. Yeah. But the thing with this, I was watching Horror Noir, which <laughs> is a, this documentary on Shudder. And if you can find it, awesome. Shudder is $4.99 a month through Amazon in your with your Prime membership. It's a, it's really easy to get to, really affordable. It is, however, no longer a part of uh, Verve. Mm. It was it was a bundle with that for a long time, but mm. recently it is not anymore. Just right. giving everyone a heads up. Sure. Yeah, Shudder is its own channel now. On no, Amazon. no, no. It always, yes. And it always was. But Verve uh, is a bundle of streaming services. Oh, and Shutter was one of the ones that it was bundled with. And it is not anymore. Oh, okay. All right. But uh, anyway, so Horror Noir is this wonderful documentary, um, which I would love to have one or two represent- representatives. Sure. You know, to discuss that on the podcast at some point. Even though it's not a horror movie, I want to talk about it. But it's... um. And that sounded like I was totally tokenizing them. And I'm not. I want representation, not tokens. Right. Um, but it's about the history of black people in America from the point of film, mm-hmm. from the viewpoint of film, uh, in particular horror movies. Because one of the things that um, one of the panelists on the film said is the history of black people in film, particularly in horror is the history of black people in the United States. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it goes through those stages of tokenism. It goes through always the villain. It goes through the tropes that are built around race. Yeah. That they die first. Right? That they die first. That they're always after the white woman. Yeah. And that's something that this movie absolutely absorbs and uses, but it uses it right. Yeah. Okay. But... The thing with Candyman and what makes it so important to American cinema. Right. Well, it's, yeah, it's the first African-American supernatural villain. It's the first supernatural uh, black stalker, uh, stalker, slasher. Not same way. Yeah. Still kind of stalker. You know, um, even though it brings in that supernatural element of the, uh, you know, the, the Bloody Mary. Yeah. Urban legend. It's super important to note, again, this is the first time that a black villain was given this much prominence. Uh, It's the first time that we had the black supernatural villain. It's the first time that a black supernatural villain, while lusting after the white woman, was shown doing it almost respectfully, even though he was trying to kill her. Yeah. You know, but he wanted to make her part of the legend. So... Even though he's this awful thing, 
Uh, and I can't even say person. He was a person. Now he is a thing. He is a, a ghost for for all intents and purposes. He's a living legend, mm-hmm. as it were. Um, he wants to make her part of the legend too. Mm-hmm. So it's it's all done super respectfully in that regard. And I think that even though we're watching this movie from the point of the white savior, the villain is actually super important. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, obviously the villain's important in any story, but from a cultural perspective, the villain's important. And I would almost argue, um, insofar as I have ground to stand here, mm-hmm. um, because I realize that especially when talking about things about race, uh, my caucasity um, mm-hmm. does become a problem. Yeah. But I would almost argue that this, especially the first movie... Um, it kind of deconstructs the white savior concept and oh, kind of turns it around. Percent does one hundred. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's not. It doesn't have the problems that something like Iron Fist yeah. did. Um, because while this person, well, you think that this is going to be kind of a white savior movie, and for quite a while in the early part of the movie, you really do. Mm-hmm. Um. And then, then things start happening, and that is abundantly clear that that is not what this person does. Right. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because Virginia Madsen is wonderful in this movie. Mm-hmm. And for the first half, you absolutely think, yeah, she's going to step in. She's going to help these people get something yep. a little bit better. And then she and wakes then, up. And then she wakes up. She absolutely does. <laughs> yep. Yep. So anyway... um. No, before we talk too much, talk to, uh, too much about this movie. <laughs> Fuck me. Uh, no, there's there's a lot, just like any of Jordan Peele's movies. Yeah. There's a ton to unpack. So go ahead. Yeah, with... I'm kind of terrified of his version of this. Frankly, oh my god. I'm like I mean, scared. literally and also like culturally. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Because it's going to be a lot. It's gonna. It's it, gonna be incredible. Yeah. It's it's gonna be an explosion. Oh yeah. Especially since. Jordan Peele has already said he will not cast a white lead. Right. So he's going to make Candyman entirely about race, and I'm living for it. Yes. I'm living for it. I want to see it. I want to see how deep he can take us with it. So anyway, deep me. Loose in 1992, Candyman was written and directed by Bernard Rose. Uh, it was also written by Clive Barker, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, based on the short story, The Forgotten, just as you mentioned. Yep. Um, Bernard Rose d- hasn't really done much. I'm not going to go into everything Clive Barker's done. It's Clive fucking Barker. Right. Um, Bernard Rose, uh, the biggest things that I I knew from his filmography mm-hmm. um, was this and 2015's Frankenstein. Mm. Uh, the version one of Frankie Goes to Hollywood Relax video is his. Huh. Hmm. Yeah, so he's already been known for dark. He also did Frankie Goes to Hollywood, Welcome to the Pleasure Dome. Which okay. means, yeah, he, he's all about, I, I don't know if he's actually gay. It doesn't say in his bio, but I'm pretty sure. Mm. <laughs> uh, but he's also, like you said, known for the 2015 Frankenstein, which mm-hmm. starred Xavier Samuels from uh, The Loved Ones. Mm-hmm. Um, he also did Immortal Beloved and mm-hmm. Anna Karenina. Uh, so he he's known for doing, you know, fluff pieces with messages because we could very clearly see those even in his music videos 
um, to the deep Oscar worthy stuff. Immortal Beloved was up for so many Academy Awards, hmm. so many. So, but yeah, he he's he's not maybe known to horror audiences, but hmm. he is known. So. Fair. Starring Virginia Madsen as Helen Lyle, uh, mostly known from this Sideways, and then I also wrote down because I love them, uh, Dune. The mm-hmm. 1980 something version. Yep. Um, and The Haunting in Connecticut. <laughs> yeah. We, d- we did mention. They, they can't all be home runs. They can't all be home runs. <laughs> um, her br- people might recognize her brother more, Michael Madsen. Yeah. Um, he was known. He he's a, was in the two Kill Bill movies. He was one of. He was the only male snake other than Bill. Right. Um, I think that's her brother. Yeah, sure. I, I'll look it up. It's fine, okay. But go ahead. Uh, starring Tony Todd as the Candyman, uh, who has done so much. Um, he has done so much voice acting that I just wrote down so much voice acting. Yeah. Like if you think of a video game, he's probably one of the voice actors. In mm-hmm. it. It's insane. Yep. Um, he's also been in a handful of the Final Destination movies, which is really interesting. Because I have watched all the Final Destination movies because I love them, even though they are trash. Yeah. And he is not the same character in all of them. No. Like, it is not It is not Tony Todd as a recurring character in the Final Destination movies. Right. He's just in, like, the first three or four of them as completely different, unrelated people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because I'm pretty sure he's actually deaf. Or someone who works for something death. like that, yeah, yeah, he, yeah. But yeah, Tony Todd's fucking amazing. Yes, and um, he also was in Hatchet Two. He was in Hatchet Two, and he was also in. Hang on, do do do. I just watched it a little while ago. It's the kind of oh, what was it? Fuck. <laughs> um. Oh shit! He's gonna be in the twenty twenty. They're not replacing him. Do you think that Jordan Peele would replace goddamn Tony (laughs) Todd? Oh, shit. Um, Death House. Death House. It's awful. It's awful. I think you told me explicitly to not watch it. Yeah, don't. (laughs) No. Oh, wait. You were the second person to tell me not to watch it. Yeah. Because my friend James also said, so do you remember us talking about this? And I didn't. I had no memory of us talking about it. But I believe him. Yeah. He's like... I I just finally got around to watching it and just don't. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's fucking bad. I mean, it's got some decent segments to it, but uh-huh. everyone that's in the in Death House is just phoning it in, except for Tony Todd. He he, by the way, doesn't really have a part in the main piece of the movie. He's just kind of this weird little wraparound at the beginning and the end. With like kidnapping victims, he's like, "Oh, you'll grow like a flower." It's super huh. fucking weird. Yeah, but I'm like, "You're in this movie for two minutes. You got <laughs> your pay. You got your paycheck. I don't know what you're doing, but I appreciate this around right. the garbage." <laughs> I'm like, "Please buffer the garbage yeah. from my life." It's like <laughs> you're the golden trash bag on this pile <laughs> of shit. Pretty much. Oh fuck. So yeah, a lot of that will get cut out. Sorry about that. But okay. Uh, moving on, Xander Berkeley as Trevor Lyle, known from Terminator 2, Air Force One, Shanghai Noon, and 24. Mm-hmm. I hope it's pronounced Cassie Lemons as Bernadette Walsh. 
from Silence of the Lambs, Eve's Bayou, and Hard Target. Mm-hmm. And Vanessa Williams as Anne-Marie McCoy, uh, who has done a lot of TV, not a lot of movies. Different Vanessa Williams. Yes. Not the one that was like stripped of her Miss USA title for posing <laughs> for Penthouse. Not that one. Uh, she was in New Jack City, Soul Food, Murder One, and a lot of episodes of the new run of Days of Our Lives. Oh, nice. Nice. Good for her. So, yeah. Ugh. Fucking Tony Todd. Let's talk about him for a minute. Because before we jump into this, because yep. that man, first off, I don't need him to touch me to get me off. <laughs> That voice is, of his yeah. is fucking beautiful. Yes. It is uh, this. And he uses it register. in like these insane ways uh-huh. that are all perfect and incredible. Oh my God. Oh, and- my, God. oh my God. No, just, just sit here and whisper. To yeah. Me. Like, so there's, there's a bunch <laughs> of scenes in the movie um, where you see him. Um, I don't want to say in the background because he's center frame, but he's far away. Yeah. Um, and it's just him like whispering things to Helen. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm getting really excited. And that makes me <laughs> uncomfortable. Cause like I was wearing the like noise cancel like headphones. So mm-hmm. it was like right in my ear. Yeah. And I'm just like, huh, huh? This makes me feel things. Why does this make me feel things? I mean, T- Tony Todd is not an unattractive man. Not at all. And frankly, Watching horror noir, I was looking at those paws of his, and they're fucking immense. <laughs> I don't know how tall that man is, but he said, by the way, that he almost didn't do Candyman. Oh wow, that would have been a mistake. I know for everybody involved. Oh seriously, because like, can you imagine Candyman without Tony Todd? I it would know. have been a flop. Right. Like, the only person I might might see replacing him is. Not even, well, and at that point in time, possibly Ving Rames. Possibly. Possibly. But he's also but too that would have made bulky. Him, yeah, that would have made him too physically imposing. Yeah. Yeah. The 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 what makes Tony Todd's Candyman uh this little piece of deliciousness is he's not big. He's very tall. He's extremely tall. What that's why he almost didn't take it. Huh. He thought it was a Sammy Sammy Davis Jr. biopic when he read the title. or something like that he's like i'm not sammy davis jr i'm too tall to be the candy man yeah is this a musical what what do you want (laughs) um but i guess then he read it and he's like yes yes but he's he's thin and tall and has that spooky type of frame yeah you know like a slender not not quite gaunt but close right he has an artist build yes he's not physically even as tall as he is, he's not physically imposing. Right. You know, he's not hyper built. He's not yeah. muscular, really. Uh, thin muscular, possibly. I haven't seen him shirtless in forever. Um, not in this movie, certainly. Yeah. I mean, you did, but then there was no actual chest to his chest. So. Well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, the, his, the way he carries himself with that big coat, with that yeah. big fur collar, which... Brings to mind, I, I mean, they, they go into his history and he's been part of this area of Chicago in the movie um, for a very long time. Uh, but he, he's got this big, thick winter coat mm-hmm. with this big, thick collar that's so iconic now. Um, you know, and the hook hand and the whole bit. He, he oozes urban legend and 
He's not. I mean, he's Tony Todd. He's an actor, but he absolutely embodies this legend. Yeah. It's fucking amazing. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Helen Lyle, a Chicago graduate student who is researching urban legends, hears of a local uh, story about the Candyman. The legend claims that the Candyman can be summoned by saying his name five times, because they had to make it a more different great uh while facing a mirror whereupon he will kill the summoner with a hook jammed on the bloody stump of his right arm Mm -hmm. she encounters two cleaning ladies who tell her about ruthie jean a resident in the notorious cabrini green housing project who they claim was killed by candy man Mm -hmm. i thought you were gonna say something oh no go ahead uh helen's research turns up 25 other murders in the area similar to ruthie jean's later that evening Helen and her friend Bernadette Walsh, skeptical of Candyman's existence, call Candyman's name into the mirror in Helen's bathroom, and nothing happens. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're going to stop there for a second. Yep. Because first off, I want to talk about the very first thing you see, which is this little this little girl telling a story of, a, of an, the urban legend of Candyman. Mm-hmm. About this babysitter, of course, which is standard. It's it's yes. a trope in urban legends. The babysitter is there alone, and she's calling the bo- the go- the boy over for the sexings. Right. So, the boy is Ted fucking Ramey. <laughs> oh my fucking head! Why why did they choose him to play biker bad boy? Really? I don't know. I think, frankly, it was inspired casting kind of because was. it was some amazing possibly unintentional comic relief yeah. that i needed <laughs> and this is the first five minutes of the movie yes oh, but i was like <laughs> you <laughs> <laughs> i know right but i mean as as we know ted Raimi is sam Raimi's brother and he has some major horror chops so yeah. i'm kind of glad they brought him in um he's not a bad actor he's just weirdly miscast in that specific is. role he really is <laughs> i mean he's he's better playing clumsy dork yeah you know. but and he is one of what three four five white characters in the movie yeah yep yeah. well let's see we've got helen we've got the boyfriend the boyfriend we've got his mistress side thing uh we've got the other professor oh we do have him there so it's probably and six. we have the priest at the end priest yeah. Who's the other and one? Then, oh, uh, well, 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 the boyfriend I mean, and the babysitter. The boyfriend and the babysitter. And then there was one other boy telling another urban legend mm. to fill out their Yeah. Their but thing. it's not many. But it's mostly I mean, in a, a black cast. There are literally only two main white characters. Yeah. Two. And even then, one of them is just kind a kind of a villain. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he really is. Um, so, anyway. Um, I like the idea of this, but because I am obsessed with urban legends. Me too. I, if I was going to school, I would probably be doing something along those lines. Um, but the fact that they're they're talking about this urban legend in Cabrini Green, which is already fucking legendary for what it is. I mean, and that's a true story. The deal with Cabrini Bre- Cabrini Green is that it was basically the worst project in Chicago. Mm. Um, it was. In Chicago, Cabrini Green was a Chicago Housing Authority public housing project. It was in, on the north side. Uh, over the years, basically gang violence, crime, neglect, just turned the, the buildings into a shithole. You know, they, they were not well kept. In the, and um, it's the Cabrini Green 
build, uh, you know, housing project is one of those sources that racists like to bring up in terms of people on HUD don't take care of the property. But it wasn't really that because the people that lived there, yeah, they were taking care of stuff. The gangs made people afraid to like go outside. They didn't, you know, you know, they did the whole multiple locking of the doors and mm-hmm. uh, they didn't want the police there. The police couldn't get there without being harassed, which is shown when Helen and her friend. And Bert at that first walk in. Oh yeah. And they announce yeah. police. <laughs> right. Right. They have to. I mean, they, they yelled through the building. Hey, the, po- the police are here. Popo. Even though so, they're not, but right. that's not. She said, we're not police. I, I, you know, so. But that's exactly what a cop would say. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But I, I get this feeling that we're looking at what a lot of people would call reverse racism. And it's really not. It's more it's tribalism. It's not, but I can see how people would call yeah. it that. Yeah. It's more of a tribalism thing. It's, it's black people being, yeah, they're being kind of xenophobic, but that's because they've spent their entire lives being harassed by right. white people. So, yeah, gang violence, bad. We don't like that. But uh, it's something that I don't have enough experience in to talk about, but I can say that it's not entirely their fault. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, they were demolished in 2011. Um, the 1990s, actually, uh, the, the William Green projects were going ma- under uh, major redevelopment. Uh, they resulted in a combination of upscale high-rise buildings and row houses, which means that people were put out of their homes when this project was closed. And it's probably best that they were, really. because In they this were, specific case. In this specific case, yes. In this specific case, gentrification is not a bad thing. Just to kind of cleanse the area of the bad that was there. Because it was, I mean, we're talking like sickness, death. It, it was this... Yeah tiny little microcosm of awful. Yeah. And, um, but this movie, the, the story was originally based in London. So it was not, uh, it, it wasn't as poignant really, mm-hmm. you know, to the story as making this very real place, which was suffering very real problems. Pulling that into the film was a stroke of fucking genius. Oh yeah. It, paid off oh yeah <laughs> yep yep yeah it, it one of the things that was a huge problem with cabrini green uh, in 1997 uh there was a nine-year-old girl um found in a stairwell after being raped beaten choked and poisoned by a can of insecticide sprayed down her throat wow yeah um 1992 Dontrell davis was fatally shot by a stray bullet um Candyman, I believe, was filmed in great part at Cabrini Green. So, uh, Jan- Jane Byrne moved into Cabrini Green to prove a point. Uh, she stayed just three weeks. That was the mayor of Chicago wow. at the time. Um, the sitcom Good Times was ostensibly set in Cabrini Green, but they were never actually referred to mm. like that. Um Constant gunfire from snipers positioned on the upper floors of Cabrini Green following the assassin of Martin Luther King caused a whole lot of casualties and property damage. And that activity would return periodically throughout the 70s. Jesus. Yeah. 
1997, that's when they started the Near North Redevelopment Initiative, uh, just after um, the the girl was found. Hmm. Uh, attacker was identified as Patrick Sykes and was found with the assistance of the community members and building gang members. Wow. Who were absolutely outraged by that. Um, Sykes had a history of sexual crimes against women and girls and admit he covered Curry. Uh, Girl X was identified as Shatoya Curry. Uh, He covered Curry with gang symbols in an attempt to confuse the investigators. She survived, uh, but was blinded and left with significant brain damage. So that was the last absolutely horrible thing to Mm -hmm. happen in Cabrini Green. Um, I am absolutely heartbroken that people allowed that to happen, that people allowed that area to sink that low. And again, the fact that this was brought in, you've got this palpable sense of fear from people living in that project. Um, You you can, it's tangible. You can feel it. Um, Just, genius absolutely absolutely it's shown it's shown both in explicit and implicit ways which Mm -hmm. i think is really interesting yeah um because there are things that are are really obvious and really in your face like uh them shouting oh police are here Mm -hmm. like lock your doors right uh it you see it in uh who we will come to learn uh is Anne marie Mm -hmm. in how she interacts with helen and bernadette um but the things that got me uh, was the art mm-hmm. on the walls. Oh, yeah. That was where I was like, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I won't claim that any of it was there before the movie was shooting, because right. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but it fits so well, I wouldn't be surprised. I believe a lot of it was. Like, the Look- big face? Sure. That was the movie. Probably. <laughs> I I actually think that might have been there beforehand, but let me look. Uh, but no, things like Sweets to the Sweet. Yeah. Because those appeared in multiple places. I can only assume that they were created by the crew. Sure. Um, I think... No, it doesn't say. It doesn't say whether or not that was... Boo. Yeah. Well, if any of you happen to know, please tell us. Yes. Because <laughs> I'm caught up on our email. <laughs> Yay, me. <laughs> Write us at bobcandygoderazor.com and let us know if you happen to know whether or not that graffiti was real. In Sources appreciated. Canada. Yes, please. <laughs> so anyway, continue. Moving on, because we are still very early in the film. We really are. There's so much to talk about with this movie. <laughs> Helen learns from uh, Professor Philip Purcell, who... Okay, all the white men in this movie are a piece of shit. Yeah, um, so just, just, just deal with it. Mm. Um, that Candyman was the son of a slave who became prosperous after developing a system for mass-producing shoes during the Civil War. He grew up in polite society and became a well-known artist sought after for his talent in producing portraits. After falling in love with and fathering a child with a white woman he was hired to paint uh, in 1890, Candyman was set upon by a lynch mob hired by his lover's father. They cut off his painting hand and replaced it with a hook. He was smeared with honey stolen from an apiary, attracting hungry bees, which stung him to death. His corpse was burned in a pyre, and his ashes were scattered across the area where Cabrini Green now stands. Mm. Whew. 
Yeah. So we've got a lot to unpack with that because, I mean, just from a symbolism standpoint, you're dealing with the myth, the legend of someone who is killed for the crime of being black. Yes. Um, let alone the fact that I'm sure that the people that killed him, and I, I think this is actually explored more in Farewell to the Flesh, mm-hmm. one of the sequels. Um, this person, this black person who was almost respected mm-hmm. as an artist has, uh, I'm sure people are looking at him like, I don't want to use this word. I don't. Please understand that this is heavily quoted. Heavily. I am not. I don't want to say it, but I'm going to. Please understand that I mean nothing by this. He was probably seen by the people that killed him as an uppity nigger. Mm. Quote, unquote. Serious. Quote, unquote. I, I will never actually use those words unless I'm saying something scholastic. Um. So in this, you know, first off, he's lost his love. Second, he's lost his hand to paint with. And you can see that he's painted or someone has painted all of these scenes in mm-hmm. the room where you where you find that big face that she steps through. Yes. Um, and you've got all the graffiti that says sweets to the Swede. And they're, they're offering sacrifices to him. Mm-hmm. Candy with razor blades in it, bringing to mind that other urban legend, the urban legend that gave us our name, <laughs> you know, the, the razor blades in the chocolate bar, yep. because that all feeds into it. They're, they're all attributing all of the evil that's happening in Cabrini Green to this, this wronged man. So they don't see him as an evil. He's the monster of the movie. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. He's absolutely monstrous. He was made to be monstrous and he's the people there feel like as long as they, as long as they pay attention, as long as they make him feel important, he's protecting them. Mm-hmm. So that's a big thing to, to remember yes. when you're watching the movie. So please go forward. Helen decides to write a thesis on how the residents of Karina Green use the Candyman legend to cope with the hardships of living there. She and Bernadette enter the housing project to visit the scene of Ruthie Jean's murder there they meet Anne-Marie McCoy, one of the residents, and a young boy named Jake, uh, wow, this jumps around a little bit, hmm. um, who tells Helen a disturbing tr- story of a child who was castrated in a public restroom by Candyman. While Helen explores the rundown restroom, she is attacked by a gang leader who carries a hook and has assumed Candyman's moniker in order to enhance his street cred. Mm-hmm. Street cred's in quotation marks because, because it's not really a thing. Helen survives the assault. This doesn't say it, but Helen survives the assault thanks to Jake Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) um, and is able to identify her attacker to the police who believe him to be responsible for the killings attributed to Candyman. Helen tells Jake that Candyman is a made-up character that isn't real while Jake insists that Candyman will get him for having talked about him. Yep. Yep. And again, that feeds back into... You know, they believe that Candyman on some level is protecting them. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you're not taunting Candyman, if you're not making fun of Candyman, if you're if you're treating Candyman with respect, he's going to treat you with respect. And talking to white people about him is right. not. Correct. Correct. And it's not even just talking to white people about him. Because he, he does say it later on. The problem wasn't that 
she talked about him. It mm-hmm. was that she convinced people to forget about him. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Freddy Krueger. Yeah. In that way. Um, which is yet another reason why this movie is so important. Now you've got the black equivalent of one of the greatest horror film monsters ever. Mm-hmm. You know, Freddy, everybody knows who Freddy Krueger yeah. is. People that are like, you know, three years old now know who Freddy Krueger is. He's just built into our cultural zeitgeist now. Mm-hmm. I got to use zeitgeist. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Candyman, this is. I will always, always, always recommend Candyman. It doesn't age well, fashion-wise, anyway. Uh, from a plot and from a plot standpoint, acting standpoint, whatever, it's it's just fine. Yeah, and videography and uh, sound design. Oh yeah, all it held up fine. really fucking yeah. well. Uh, the the material that was used, like Cabrini Green, no longer exists. Mm-hmm. So that didn't hold up, obviously. Uh, so people would have to go back and say, was that a real place? Yes, it absolutely was. And it was a horrible place. And it was horrible because of the way humans treat one another. Yep. And it was horrible because we've got tiny little packed apartments where, where we've said, okay, this is where black people can live. Mm-hmm. And they've, they went tribal with it like like any group of people would right you're crammed into this tiny little space you don't have a lot of room to spread out you're just trying to live your life and shit gets real constantly harassed by people who are quote outside exactly and some people inside yeah you know yeah because they they did have the gangs that that lived in cabrini green Mm -hmm. but they also had the gangs that would come and start fights and um because there was was it Anne marie I think it was Anne Marie who said that anytime a white person walks into mm-hmm. Cabrini Green, they mean trouble. They bring trouble. Yeah. Right. Um, and Helen, of course, at that point says, No, I don't I'm not trying to bring trouble to you. I she just does want to talk to you. She does, obviously. <laughs> if she didn't, there wouldn't be a movie. Right. She doesn't mean to, but right. she does bring trouble. <laughs> right. Which Ed, I mean, we'll we'll get to that when we talk about the Which end. Is really. Remarkably soon. Yeah. Um, because this is this is roughly maybe the first third, the first half somewhere in mm-hmm. there of the movie is just all this build up. Oh yeah. It's, it's just exposition. And then the we're about to hit the down part of the roller coaster. Oh yes. Because things take a very sudden turn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they absolutely do. Um, Cause isn't this where she goes back? This yes, mm-hmm. um, because the next the next section begins with in the parking garage. Mm-hmm. Oh, where she's hearing him. <laughs> yes, Helen. Helen, I can't. I can't even. No, Helen. No, I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> he has this this beautiful timber. Yeah, to his voice and just uh, and that 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 gravelly mm-hmm. piece just. <sighs> <laughs> Okay, go on. Go forward. In a parking garage, Helen is confronted by the real Candyman, who explains that since Helen has discredited his legend, he must shed innocent blood to perpetuate belief in himself and continue his existence. Um, I'm going to interrupt real quick. So I had two openers this week, and this is where um, my other one came from, where he just says, I am rumor. Mm. And I was like... Oh God! <laughs> like, yeah. first of all, I'm terrified. Uh-huh. Like, I'm some kind of scaroused, I guess. <laughs> um, but just all of his lines, like the writing, 
is insanely good. His lines are the word choice, the cadence, mm-hmm. and the just dialect is starkly different from anyone else in the movie. And it's so incredibly well done. Oh, it's so oh, good. God, yeah. And, and um, Jesus, he is... He he's he's from Connecticut. Tony Todd is was trained by the Artist Collective, um, University of uh, Connecticut. Studied theater at Eugene O'Neill Theater Institute. He is classically trained, mm-hmm. and it fucking shows. Yeah, it is gorgeous what he does to this film. I don't look at villains and say that's fantastic acting because I look at. I look at um, Friday the 13th and Jason's just lumbering. Same with right. Michael Myers. You've got a little bit more with Fred Krueger. Sure. Uh, again, another classically trained actor, but he kind of, after the first film stopped being scary so much as he was a wise cracking asshole. Yeah. Can be. Can be, but not. I mean, that's more the makeup. I said can't effects. be. Oh, can't be. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but Candyman never went in that direction. No. Ever. Not in any of the three movies. Not in any of the three Candyman films did he ever break out of this seducer. Yeah. And seduce me, he did. <laughs> the, the whole premise of the remainder of the movie is Candyman <laughs> seducing Helen into, and, and his, his recurring mantra when he's talking to her is, be my victim. Mm-hmm. Like, you killing you is going to be what makes people remember me yep. more again mm-hmm. because of what you did. Right. Right. Um, and also part of this seduction is, oh, we haven't gotten there yet. Damn it. Go forward with the plot. Okay. <laughs> um, so after he says that he must shed innocent blood, mm-hmm. Helen blacks out and wakes up in Anne Marie's apartment. Covered in blood. Mm-hmm. Anne-Marie, uh, whose dog has been decapitated. That poor puppy. And whose baby Anthony is missing, attacks Helen. In the midst of defending herself, Helen is arrested by the police. Trevor, Helen's husband. This says husband. I don't think they were married. Yeah, they were. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, bails her out of jail, but Candyman appears to Helen again and cuts her neck, causing her to bleed to the point of unconsciousness. Bernadette appears at the apartment and is murdered by Candyman, who frames Helen for the murder. Helen is then sedated and placed in a psychiatric hospital. Okay. So, where I was going before I was so rudely interrupted by actual plot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Part of the seduction is playing on something that she had mentioned to Anne-Marie during their initial discussion where, where Anne-Marie is finally is starting to talk to her and trust her a little bit. Um, you know, Helen, you know, the baby spits up, Helen goes to get a towel and she's like, do you have kids of your own? She's like, no, but I'd love some. Mm-hmm. And in this now Candyman is using the baby he kidnapped whom at this point we do not know is alive or dead. Right. Okay. And he's telling her, if you are not my victim, the baby will die. 
Okay, so we, the audience, know the baby's alive because the Candyman is fucking lawful evil. Yeah. Yeah. He's If he tells you something, he's going to follow his word. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, which makes him also a cut above many of the slashers that we know and love. And also more terrifying. Oh, seriously. <laughs> because he will lay down the law and then follow it to the letter. <laughs> it, it's it's like it's like the genie mm-hmm. okay um i i think we may have discussed this before but the thing with the genie the reason why people like actually hire lawyers to write out their D wish spell they do it's not even i'm not even kidding about it doesn't make that. it less funny it doesn't make it less funny but the the thing with the the story of the djinn which it kind of bleeds into Candyman. this is kind of where he is except he's not granting a wish right um He's he's choosing the wish for you and exactly. then forcing you to ask it. Right. Okay. And it's always you dying. It, it always <laughs> is. It really always is. But it, the, the thing with the, the history of the djinn is that they would follow the letter of the law. Mm-hmm. We did actually discuss this in an episode. With Under the Shadow. With Under the Shadow, yes. So, um, but it does follow that. It's It's very, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. If you don't work with me here, this is going to happen. And... I'm not lying to you. You're not going to like it. I'm not you have saying no it. reason to believe me, but you will. Right. I, I'm not saying it's pleasant at all. I, I'm saying that you're going to be, you know, in being my victim, you're going to die a slow, painful, agonizing death that people will talk about forever. Mm-hmm. That's what he wants. He wants this legend of himself to be around forever. And because- he wants her to beg for it. Oh, he absolutely He does. isolates her. He kills her best friend mm-hmm. um yep. he makes her appear crazy to everyone around her and he tells her as she's standing on that bridge mm-hmm. this is exactly what i'm doing to you because you you're not playing along with my rules mm-hmm. everyone will hate you everyone is talking about you everyone is a, is frightened of you and you're not going to be able to stop it you can't nope. this is this is along the lines of, for example, this is along the lines of someone spreading a rumor that someone sexually abused another person when they didn't. Mm-hmm. This is that kind of life-destroying rumor that he's building around her because what he is rumor. Mm-hmm. That's what he does. That's what he's comprised of. That That's what his life is. So, fucking bravo. Yeah. Fucking bravo. Anyway, continue so that we can just gush about this movie some more. After <laughs> a month's stay at the hospital, which on screen only takes a couple of minutes. Yeah, and they explain that. They do. Yeah. Helen is interviewed by a psychologist in preparation for her upcoming trial. She attempts to prove her innocence by summoning Candyman who kills the psychologist and allows Helen to escape. She returns home and briefly confronts Trevor, who is now living with Stacy, one of his female undergrad students. Stacy. Of course, oh God, Stacy. And she's just, I, I swear to God, she was laughing through that whole scene. She was like, I'm not crying, but I'm going to make it look like you. Right. <laughs> um, so this is, this is another thing that I really like that Candyman did that Candyman didn't directly do, but he did mm-hmm. um, by letting her escape the psychiatric hospital. Uh, she now has 
no ground to stand on legally anywhere yep. at this point. Mm-hmm. Her best friend is dead. Mm-hmm. Everyone thinks that she killed her best friend. Uh-huh. So she's incredibly isolated. She's going to go to the one person that she quote unquote has left, which is Trevor. Mm-hmm. And then she sees the Stacy. She sees Stacy. She sees everything covered in pink. Mm-hmm. And she had her, uh, What's the not doubts? She had her. She, they were doubts. Yeah, she, she, she had doubts. Thought. She had assumptions. Doubts she had about hunches. His yeah. yeah. Um, that he was doing something because when she called from prison the first time at three in the morning, he wasn't there, and right. he was just like, "Oh, I'm asleep." Mm-hmm. Um, however, we the audience see the empty, perfectly made bed. Yeah. You know what else Candyman did? Without even trying, gave her another legend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> he abs- She is the one that escaped from the mental hospital, mm-hmm. and now she's out, and she could be anywhere. And she's this vicious murderer. And oh no, oh my god, he's creating fear through her. Mm-hmm. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Helen then flees to Cabrini Green to confront Candyman and locate Anthony, finding murals depicting Candyman's lynching. Helen tracks down Candyman, who tells her to surrender to him to ensure the baby's safety. Offering Helen immortality, Candyman opens his coat to reveal a ribcage wreathed in bees and kisses her. And we're going to talk about that scene, but let me finish the paragraph. (laughs) (laughs) After Candyman vanishes with Anthony, Helen finds a mural of Candyman alongside his lover, Caroline Sullivan, who bears a striking resemblance to Helen. This and a message left by Candyman imply that Helen is a reincarnation of Sullivan or just looks enough like her to pass. This is where they dragged all that shit out for fucking Dracula. Yeah. It really is. Because the, the reincarnation of Dracula's previous lover, not in the book at all, Yep. period. Dracula was just a monster. But here it actually works. Because we know that the backstory of Candyman... Um, was written by Barker and mm-hmm. it was, you know, that was part of the story the whole time. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't feel forced. No. Okay. Unlike that Dracula yeah. untold bullshit. Right. Which I tried to watch like the first 15 minutes of it. it <laughs> turn off. It was that bad. Um, We're going to talk about the kiss. We are going to talk about the kiss. The first thing though, is she actually reached into his coat. She was ready for it. Yeah. She was going to do it. She was all about it. Reached into his coat, got a handful of fucking bees, and that's when it all went downhill. <laughs> Please continue talking about the kiss. So if you if if you reach into someone's coat and pull out a handful of bees, there are a lot of problems. Like, <laughs> yeah. um, however, he then opens his coat. You see just the rib cage and bees. He is yeah. just bees. Mm-hmm. Um, he, the camera pans up. And you see his face covered in bees. He opens his mouth to find his tongue covered in bees. Uh-huh. They start crawling out of his mouth as he leans down and kisses her over the crunching of the bees. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh my god. First off, sound design. Horrible. Incredible. Are you kidding me? No, horrible as in it scared me the fuck. Okay. <laughs> but no. This is the days before CGI kid. Yeah. He, Tony Todd had a mouthful of bees 
and a bodysuit full of bees. So many bees. So many bees. And I'm trying to find uh, how they managed to do that. They essentially just covered everything they could with honey mm-hmm. uh, and had them you know, go to town. Um, I really wish I knew more about... Um, uh, about what was going on or, or how they did the bees, mm-hmm. but it was fucking fantastic. Yeah. Fucking fantastic. How the hell <laughs> are you going to get somebody? I mean, I, there are very few insects mm-hmm. I will willingly handle. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose if they've been calmed down with smoke or whatever, a bee is fine. Sure. I don't necessarily like being stung, but right. You know, if they if you've got them somewhat sedated, whatever, and I'm just going to stand there still, fine, great. You know, uh, a praying mantis, totally fine. I don't have a problem with a mantis. I don't have a problem with a cricket or mm-hmm. a grasshopper. No problem with any of that shit. Um, bees are approaching that line. Yeah. Bees are okay. I like bees. Bees don't bother me, really, except if they're flying directly at my head. Um, but they do skirt that line of animals I don't necessarily want to handle, let alone have in my fucking mouth. Yeah. In my fucking mouth, all over his goddamn tongue. I'm like, yeah. It is a tough scene to watch. Yeah, it totally is. It totally is. Um, I'm glad that they left the focus on his face. Yes. Uh, the chest prosthetic was good, but not great. Yeah. Okay. It was It was 1992 good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm just really fucking glad. I, I'm not glad that it happened at all, but I'm, I'm really glad that the really horrible thing that basically shut down Cabrini Greed for good happened after this movie was filmed. Yes. Um, because the part of, part of this, part of bringing this whole illusion together is that room, mm-hmm. is that room covered in his art. Nobody else painted that. No, he painted that. And you know he had to. And he probably painted it using a lot of blood. Um, you know, he's telling his own story. And nobody could have gotten... I mean, people could have gotten in there to do that. Mm-hmm. They weren't going to do that. He was going to tell his own story. That room existed for him to haunt. Yeah. Um, that building exists for him to haunt. That entire area exists for him to haunt. For him to be that legend. Yep. But I don't think the bees would have worked... In any other environment. No. No. I, I mean, maybe next to an apiary. Yeah. Um, but the walls around Candyman in that mm-hmm. instance, the, the paintings on the walls, the color scheme of that room, they just all brought that together and made a honeybee, which has been explored in horror before. Mm-hmm. But it made the honeybee so much more terrifying to people. Yes. And it was just amazing. Yeah. It's a weird juxtaposition where they really, they simultaneously do and do not fit. Like it's almost in the uncanny valley where it's like, this feels wrong, Mm -hmm. but you're not sure why. Right. Well, it feels wrong because nobody wants a mouthful of fucking bees. Well, that part, yeah. Or a ribcage full of them, I suppose. Right. And and the way he held his face, uh, I'm sure this was the way they they told him, be be as still as you can while still acting. Um, Because he had his eyes closed and his head tilted back and his tongue forward, no one kisses like a Pez dispenser. And if they do, don't kiss that person. Because they're going to kiss you wrong. Yeah. Um, 
And that is also probably something that made you uncomfortable because he is coming in for this kiss, which she doesn't really want. Right. She's She's accepting, but she's not incredibly willing. Right. She's not giving enthusiastic consent. Enthusiastic consent, especially in this day and age, is something that is required. Yes. Um, Or should be required by, like, everyone. Yes. Because it's consent. If you don't consent, it's rape. Yes. Okay. So that's probably another thing that led to that scene being so incredibly uncomfortable. Plus, it took forever. It is a very long scene. It is. It is. I like, feel like it kind of had to be. Yeah. To, but it is long. I I think they probably could have cut out about half of him leaning in towards her, you know, to get that to, to get yeah. the point across. But because he literally does take about a minute, a really slow minute, yeah. to lean in for the before kids. it cuts to the back of his head. Right. Right. So and then you've got the fact that the kiss was. She accepted it, but she cut it off. She yeah. didn't. Do, she didn't go the whole way. She coughed out whatever bees she managed <laughs> to get into her mouth, and she's like, "No, we can't do this." She revoked consent, mm-hmm. and that's when he got angry. And then, he, and he's like, "Nope, got to spill innocent blood." Yep. Takes the baby, <laughs> places the baby in the center of the the annual bonfire. Yes. Okay. That is something that we didn't talk about, but it is something that Jake mentions. There's this giant pile of what basically looks like garbage mm-hmm. um, outside of Corbina Green. She's like, oh, is someone building a bonfire? She's asking Jake, the, the small child. And he's like, yeah, it's for the party. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is a setup for this yeah. much earlier in the movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the pile is there. We knew it was there. And basically the party is to celebrate Candyman. That is what it seems to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it's it's really more of a, you know, because it's not really summer. It's more like winter. They're all wearing coats, yeah. like the non-Candyman people. Right. So, right. so yeah, it, it's fall, winter, yeah, late sort fall. Of thing. So it, it's it's almost like this this Burning Man, yeah, celebration, uh, this Wicker Man. So that you're bringing in all kinds of stuff from yeah. all sorts of different different uh, cultural mm-hmm. references and and horror references to deal with this. So yeah, it's, uh, you know, but places that maybe in the center of center of a bonfire and go on. So we can talk about it. <laughs> Candyman promises to release Anthony. If Helen helps him incite fear among Cabrini Green's residents. However, in order to feed his own legend, Candyman reneges and attempts to emulate them all in a bonfire when it is lit by the residents. Mm-hmm. Helen manages to save Anthony. While Candyman is destroyed in the fire, but Helen ultimately succumbs to severe burns. The residents, including Anne-Marie and Jake, pay their respects at the funeral, uh, with Jake tossing Candyman's hook into her grave. Yeah. Afterwards, Trevor, in grief and guilt over Helen's death, faces his bathroom mirror and says Helen's name five times. Um... That description doesn't exactly tell you what happens in that scene no, it because doesn't. it's not him chanting it into the mirror like they chanted Candyman. After like the second, it was. After the second or third one, sure. But it started with him just like crying right. and just saying her name. Because he's remorseful that he treated her badly. Yes. Which, you know, that gives him a little bit of redemption. A As very small amount. Afterwards. Yes. Um, <laughs> Uh, as a result, 
Helen's vengeful spirit is summoned and kills Trevor with Candyman's hook, leaving his body to be found by Stacy. Mm-hmm. In Candyman's former lair, a new mural of Helen with her hair ablaze is seen, showing that she has now entered folklore. Yep. Yep. Fuck. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> so, so all right. So the baby. She goes in and rescues the baby. She manages to get out while while Candyman is just apoplectic. He doesn't even know. He. I mean, like, I'm like, dude, you can't follow them. You got in. Why can't you follow them out? But, you know, he doesn't make it. She makes it out. They put out the flames. While they're doing that, the bonfire starts to collapse in the center. Mm-hmm. And you get a cloud of bees that are on fire. Yep, fire bees. Fire bees. You know, this is, you know, early animation. It was an animated thing. It wasn't, you know, just like a... Spe- it was a special effect, but it wasn't like CGI. Right. So... You know, you've got the cloud of, of fire bees and you've got Helen who has rescued the baby and Anne-Marie is so grateful and the baby is unharmed, you know, um, but Helen, of course, dies. And at her funeral, they're giving her a prisoner's funeral. They're giving her a convicted murderer's funeral. They're like, you know, forgive her for what she did because she still wanted to be a good person, even though she did these things. Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah, but the preacher was convinced. Oh yeah, she was guilty. Yes, convinced because the the entire city I, yeah. was convinced she was guilty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now, now that she's got the people of Cabrini Green talking about her and what they what she did for them, she's a better protector than Candyman was, mm-hmm. which sucks. Yes, because this gives us. The most blatant version of white savior fucking ever, ever. I want to see Lupita Nyong'o do this role. I wonder. Let me look at IMDb. I don't know who was cast. I don't either. Hang on a second. Let's see. Candyman. Daniel Robitaille. So it's going to be. Yaya Abdul-Mateen, Tiana Paris, it looks like it's going to be Helen, but nobody's named. Um, Kyle Kaminsky's going to be in it. That's cool. He's like the only white character so far. Two, Aaron Crippen. Um, yeah, nobody's really named other than Nadia Sims, who plays Ringleader, uh, Aaron Crippen, who plays Officer Smith, and Tony Todd, who plays Candyman in the 2020. Um, it looks like uh, Yaya Abdul-Mateen is going to have the, the lead after him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is known from Aquaman, the get down. Uh, he played black Manta. Okay. Aquaman. So I, I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, hell yeah. No, I didn't realize that that was an actual thing. Yep. But yeah. That should be out next Surprise. year. Surprise. Yay. <laughs> um, but fuck me. Um, this is where, while this movie gave us great strides mm-hmm. with race in film, it's still definitely not perfect. And I don't think anything really can be. There's always going to be things that people get upset about. Um, I can be social justice warrior with a sense of restraint. You know, I understand people may be upset over something. Mm-hmm. However, pick your battles. You know, what is going to be more important? 
in terms of that. In this case, while I will always champion this movie as a fantastic piece of cinema that mm. happens to address race and how black people were treated in the projects and, you know, things of that nature. And even, you know, back, you know, back before Cabrini Green was a thing, right. you know, back when, you know, Chicago was new and, you know, all the other stuff. Um, it's, it's a wonderful examination of race and poverty mm-hmm. and the tribalism that goes along with that. And, um, uh, even among white people, I'm not saying that's just a black person. Right. Thing. It does happen among white people. Um, <clears throat> but the fact that we ended up with the white woman saving them all, she, they essentially turned her into an angel on, in that wall art. Yeah. You know, with the flaming wings and the hair and it, she's, she's essentially been made into some kind of legendary divinity. Almost. Mm-hmm. She is the protector of Cabrini green now. Um, because she's defeated Candyman, you know. So now these these these, these black people are under the thumb of another fucking white person. <laughs> what yes. the hell? That that is the only thing that really pisses me off about this movie uh, is the fact that we still got to deal with a white person that's in charge of the whole show. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, you had thoughts. I'm sure. I, oh, I, I don't do. want to babble through this whole um, thing. I. <laughs> The the very end of the movie where you do see the mural, um, it is upsetting, yeah. Because it seems this is the biggest thing in this movie for me that seems really out of stride with mm-hmm. the rest of it. Yeah. Um, like I feel like it was almost done to cater more to white audiences. I think so. Um, I really wanted it to be Anne-Marie, Frank, frankly. Oh, see, I would have been happy with it being either Anne-Marie or Bernadette. Yeah. Um, but I think that if, well, I guess the roles would have to be reversed and that Bernadette would have had to go through basically hell. Yeah. Um, and that would have been fine, but I really wanted it to be, uh, Anne-Marie saving her child. Mm-hmm. Um, and Helen, Helen having sacrificed herself, sure, to the Candyman and become his immortal, whatever, reincarnated bride. And Anne-Marie saving her child and her still becoming a part of the legend, but as almost a trophy versus the savior. Right. I would have rather Helen been the trophy. Yeah. I really would have. Uh, and I would have ha- rather had Anne Marie be the, the powerful black woman that she we know she is because oh, yeah. she's a mother who's raising a child by herself in, in Cabrini Green. Green. Yeah, you know, um, I would have rather had her be the person who ultimately yeah. defeated because that's her baby, not Helen's. Right, her baby. So that's what pisses me off the most. Yeah. yeah and, and now that you think about it, I do think I would prefer to have Anne Marie be that savior. Yep. Yeah. Uh, keep in mind, though, that this uh, the changing of this uh, of the story to make the movie was actually brought about by a real murder. Really? Yeah. Um, according to journalist Steve Bagheera, uh, a source of inf- uh, inspiration might have been a, a couple of articles that he wrote for Chicago Reader okay. uh, in 87 and 90 about the murder of Ruthie Ann McCoy. 
Same name. Yep. Ruthie Ann McCoy um, was in Abbott Holmes' housing project, not Cabrini Green. But in 87, she was killed by an intruder that got into her apartment. Guess how? Oh, no. Through the mirror. Through the space behind the mirror. She pushed, He pushed out the medicine cabinet and got in that way. So, yeah. I mean, it does have its roots, in yeah. fact. In horrible, horrible fact. Um, but... I mean, I, 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 I want to take this movie more positive, definitely, mm-hmm. because it does show race and poverty uh, well, well and realistically. Yeah. Because those apartments, they were shoeboxes. Oh, yeah. They were absolutely shoeboxes. And you saw like the kitchen was like three feet yeah. of counter. You know, uh, with a stove in it. And then their living and room. And Marie's whole living room was the playpen for her kid. Yeah. Like. Yeah, she it. had a bedroom. She had a bedroom which had the crib in it. She was sleeping in the same room with the baby. Yeah, yeah, because she had to because that's what she could afford. Right, as a single mother in Chicago. Um, it's just you know even then housing prices were insane. Yeah, because people could charge them, but but then again, Cabrini Green was government. It was HUD. Yeah, so what were they going to do? You know, so they were given their little allotted amount of space, and then it uh, that that ending is really, other than the entire movie being about the white woman and her descent into madness, um, the white savior piece is the one thing that 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 does it for me. It gets me so angry about this yeah. movie because it was unnecessary. I like, it really feels throughout the movie, even up to. Um, even like slightly after the kiss, mm-hmm. it really feels like the whole movie is set up for her to die, yeah, and to be the trophy mm-hmm. of Candyman and not to win, right? And that's what I want. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I mean, if you want to tell this story with a white protagonist, make the white protagonist lose. Make them lose, because. We don't always win. Right. Let them try their hardest. Let them inadvertently use their privilege in every way that they can. Right. And even then, she and was trying to use her privilege to help. That is true. So she she was not being a bad she, ally. She was being benevolent. Yeah. She she wasn't being a bad ally. She she wanted to help as much as she could. And, and she wanted to tell the story that they had. And she didn't really try and... The character didn't come across... And wasn't really written as a white savior. Like, that was not her goal. Right. Now, her goal, no. Her ultimate It is fate. what happened. Yeah. Not arguing that part. Right. <laughs> but that wasn't her goal. That wasn't how she acted. Yeah. And but, that helps me, at least. Yeah. But, but even then, she was still using them. Yes. She was using the people in Cabrini Green for her thesis. Mm-hmm. Um, which meant nothing to them. Because they're not going to college. They're not doing master's right. degrees and writing papers and things like that. They're not caring about her education. She's the only one that gives a shit mm-hmm. about it. Even her husband does not care. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, she she is still using her privilege in a way that is negative, even though it's not necessarily perceived as such. Yeah. Um, because she is using those people to get her thesis written. However, she's doing it in a way 
that shows she doesn't want to hurt. She doesn't intentionally want to hurt. Right. Period. She does not. Um, but ultimately, her selfishness in terms of the thesis leads to the downfall of herself. Yeah. You know, her marriage, her her reputation, her education, everything around her. Mm-hmm. Her selfishness in regards to getting that paper written because it is ultimately racist. Mm-hmm. She she kind of deserved what she got. She did not deserve to be the savior. Right. Period. Ready for ratings? I think we are. But we have Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack with this movie. Yes. There really is. Um this may be a short episode, mostly because we don't have Stephanie here to bounce more ideas off <laughs> of. Um This movie's a fucking classic. If you have not seen Candyman, go fucking watch Candyman because Candyman is fucking worth it. It is, you know, a 19, what, 89, 90 movie? 92. 92. Oh, wow. Hmm. Because I thought this came up before I graduated high school. I guess not. Um, no, it, it's a classic and it's a classic for a reason. Clive Barker is a fucking masterpiece. Um, Clive, if you hear this, call me. <laughs> um, I will totally throw Clive a bone. <laughs> Or if he wants to throw me one. Either way, I'm good. Um, No, Clive Barker. When he signed off on on doing the film this way, created a monster Mm -hmm. in the best possible way. Because I know people that will still go in and look at the mirror and say Candyman five times. Because even outside of the context of the movie, he's become a myth. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm like, he's not real. It's just a story. But people will still do it. And it's it's funny to me that way. Because people will still do Bloody Mary. Mm-hmm. You know, and Bloody Mary's been made into a couple of movies. Um All of which terrible. Oh, oh yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> as third, much as I love Bloody Mary. That third urban legend film. Uh, Holy fuck. But at least that one got the spiders right. Actually, no, it didn't. Um, but it was Mary Lambert. Yeah. So I do appreciate that Mary Lambert got got some horror direction out of that. What other cat doing weird shit? Um, I love the premise of this movie. Mm-hmm. I love the way this movie was told, barring the white savior piece. Um, it's still not a bad story, but what we know of racism and how race affects uh, race in media affects people. This was not the best way to tell the story. I'm looking forward to the 2020 now. Oh God! I, yes. In fact, I did not. Look, I was today years old. <laughs> I found out that that was going to happen. It makes me happy. Um, it's other than the fact that it deals with a place that is specifically historically significant in 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 Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's known worldwide for what it was in terms of being a fucking hellhole. Um, it's almost timeless. The story itself, if you take out some of the locations and some of the visuals in the film specifically in relating, uh, relating to fashion, uh, like I mentioned before, it's, a, it's, it's just a good story. It's just someone digging into something they shouldn't be digging into and paying the price for doing that. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that. Um, this is just, it's fantastic. 
It's absolutely fantastic. I think I'm going to go watch the other two after we're done with this, uh, which are not as fantastic. No. By a long shot. Tony Todd still is, but otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Virginia Madsen. Virginia Madsen's had some ups and downs in her career. Is she in that? She's in Haunting in Connecticut. The sequels. Oh, the sequels? the sequels? Oh, no, no, no. She's not okay. in the sequels. Okay. Oh, no, 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 no. That's no, what no. I thought we were still talking about. No. Uh, <laughs> Flesh, as I believe, the prequel and Day of the Dead takes place in New Orleans. Yeah. Uh, she is in neither of those. Right. Because she didn't want to be. Um, and her character wasn't there. Of course. Her <laughs> character was not there. Um, apparently, just to, to talk about this a little bit more, mm-hmm. uh, according to Wikipedia, there was some controversy controversy in the way the film was depicting racism and racial stereotypes. Uh, they had to go and have a set of meetings with the NAACP because the producers were worried. Good yeah. representation right there. Uh, and what they said, what they said, quote unquote, according to Rose, what they said to me when they read the script was, why are we even having this meeting? You know, this is just good fun. Their argument was, why shouldn't a black actor be a ghost? Why shouldn't a black actor play Freddy Krueger or Hannibal Lecter? If you're saying they can't be, it's really perverse. This is a horror movie. And according to Madsen, she says, I was and am now worried about how people will respond. I don't think Spike Lee will like this film. So she's right. Mm -hmm. She was right. Um, Because you are going to have people that argue both sides. Yeah. You know, you are going to say, yes, this is a huge step forward. And it absolutely was. But then you've got the white savior, which right. brings that right back down. Brings it not not quite back to baseline. Right. It's like two steps forward, a step and a half back. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we do have some progress with yeah. this movie. And that that is super appreciated. You know, but I, I was talking to someone today about us. Mm-hmm. Um, us and uh, Get Out. The mm-hmm. Jordan Peele movies. And he said he just really didn't like them. And I said, well, after having watched Horror Noir, which still super recommended, those movies weren't written for you. <laughs> you know, yeah. they were not. They absolutely were not. Peele did not write those for a white audience. He didn't have to. He is not under any onus to entertain the white people. Um, he's, he's not, you know, Peele is not under any kind of impetus to just entertain white people he's in hollywood to make money sure but he's got an and audience he's doing that he absolutely is hand over fucking fist hand over fist. and he deserves all of it like yeah. don't oh, <laughs> don't read into what i'm saying because no he 100 deserves all but of no, it I, this this guy was saying that um you know people weren't you know he didn't he didn't see any symbolism in that and and that black people when they reported about it were not seeing racial symbolism in I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Are you kidding me? No. Yeah. We, That's how you know that somebody didn't talk to any black people about Get Out or he d- Us. He did post an article. I don't remember who it was from, but it was by a black author who said that, and he uh, he was using what this person was saying to kind of you know give that, you know, it wasn't about race. Uh-huh. I'm like, what this author said was that he made a, a, a movie for black people that did not specifically address race racism or poverty okay okay so just because a movie wasn't about those things does not mean it wasn't about uh, about racial issues yeah excuse me not poverty blackness okay okay um so just because it wasn't about that does not make it not a racially charged movie right 
and, you know, and, you know, I get, and, and he's like, are you sure you didn't just see those things because you're white and you feel guilty? I'm like, no, I saw them because they're there. Yeah. You know, we're talking about two people, two families in this movie, not, not, not the, the mirror people. Right. Okay. We're talking about the white family and the black family, both ostensibly educated at the same level, same number of kids, um, mm-hmm. vastly different incomes, mm-hmm. you know? You know, you've got the black family. The man is wearing essentially an Ivy League sweatshirt. Mm-hmm. Howard is a, a is one of the black Ivy League schools. Okay, um, he's incredibly educated, and he's a, such a fucking nerd. You know, he's educated because he's a fucking dork. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and he's working. Well, hello, Frito. Hi. <laughs> yes. All um, the way up into my lap this time. Right. I know. Ha, <laughs> oh, girl. But no, you, you... I can't help but see the inequality that's being displayed. I can't help but see that we've got the inequality between the white family and the black family. Right. And then we've got the inequality, which is representative of the entirety of the United States. Yeah. With the tethered. Mm-hmm. You know, you've still got a story about a slave uprising. Doesn't matter that white people are involved with the slaves. Right. It, it's still slaves and they're still uprising. And I, you know, I explained to him the deal with Hands Across America, and, you know, against that armchair slacktivism thing mm-hmm. and, you know, pointing your finger at a problem, but not actually doing anything with it. You know, right. Things like that. So, you know, I realize I am a white person. I realize I am speaking on this from a place of privilege. I realize that, you know, yeah, I, I may have some of the same problems as black people, but my skin, my skin color is not making them worse. Right. That is privilege. That is, that is my understanding of privilege. Okay. Uh, and again, we've got this movie here that is 100% on the fucking nose with blackness and poverty in big cities. Mm-hmm. Okay. With racism, you know, even though she's not actively right. trying to be racist on a passive level, she absolutely is. Mm-hmm. Even if she doesn't realize it, she is, like I said, using those people, but because we've got this fantastic hole in terms of discussing those issues, in terms of making that monster, in, in terms of telling that story, in terms of, creating those roles and finding those people that just fit into them perfectly. Virginia mm-hmm. Madsen, I love her. She's not the best actress in the world, but she's d- still pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, her and Tony Todd played off of each other. Incredibly. So well, so well. Um, to, I, I cannot stop gushing about this movie and I can't stop gushing about the importance of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie gets five out of five mouthfuls of bees. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I have way less to say about this movie. Um, I definitely want to echo everything that you said. I do think that this movie, especially for the time, is important. I think it absolutely is a classic and it deserves its place in the horror genre. Um, you know, I don't think it deserves its place in the horror genre. I think it deserves better than it has. Yeah. Um, it's still generally well received. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but I, I don't think it's liked as much as it should be. No, no, it's not. And I think a lot of that may be because it is so racially charged. I think that's certainly a factor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the sequels are another big factor yeah. in that. Um, but this, this is a really great movie. It's great for people who want to watch something horror if they normally don't. Like, this is something that will give you the scares. It will give you some real world things. Even though it was set fucking 30, 30 years, years ago. ago. Um yeah, mm-hmm. even though it was said 30 years ago, like a lot of the things are perfectly mirrored today, which is a problem, but yeah. we'll talk about L- that. In like other- literally the only thing different is the fact that Cabrini Green no longer exists. Yeah, and we have better technology. Right. Like, that's it. Right, and, and, <laughs> and someone would be wearing a much better looking coat. Yes. Uh, um, although not Candyman. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is just, this is a really good movie. This is one of one of my favorites it really has been since i began my own horror education um i love the sequels they're not as good mm-hmm. um and this movie i think is really really underappreciated i am glad that it has its occult following mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad that it does at least have that um i am sad that it does not have the mainstream support that I think that it should. Yeah. Um, I do think that the white savior turn at the very end is really unfortunate. And like I said before, it feels like a misstep um, with the rest of the movie. Um, Like it, it, it gives the same feeling to me as when you're going downstairs and you think there's another stair and there's not. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have that like jarring thud as you superhero stomp on the ground, and right. then you like panic for just a second. I'm gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> um, but aside from that, like the performances are incredible. The writing is really, really good, mm-hmm. um, especially for the time. Like so much of this movie holds up. Like you can see the era that it existed in certainly yeah. in the fashion, in the styles, in the decor of the rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, but so much else doesn't feel 30 years old. Right. Um, so for me, well, I was also going to say mouthful of bees. <laughs> so <laughs> it's fine. It's this is this is a, a self-imposed thing because I like to go last right. when it's my pick, so <laughs> I, mean, I can't complain about it. And I always go first. So, yeah. um, but I, yeah, this this fucking movie. Um, trying to think of something witty. Oh wow, you said it instead of me. Yeah. <laughs> um, it had been a while since I watched this movie, like a long time, like maybe ten-ish years. Yeah. Um. And yeah, there's so much to this fucking movie. It's so good. And it's still so good. Uh, rating, rating, rating. I had another one. It's gone. Um, fuck it. I, I'm going to give it five out of five gigantic fur coats. (laughs) That coat is beautiful when it's not covered in blood and yeah. Sporting a hook hand. Yeah. (laughs) A hook hand. (laughs) 
<laughs> One thing I want to talk about, though, that yep. we didn't um, before we sign off. You want to know what is, is really fucking cool about Candyman? Um, is the fact that they used his blackness to make him monstrous. His face is not disfigured in any way. It's no. just black. It's just black. Yeah, you know, filled with bees, but only yeah. that once. Only that once. <laughs> um, but they they've actually taken and said, okay, to white people, the black man is a monster, and in pointing that out, I think they've actually helped pave the way for a lot of uh, a lot more positive representation of black people. I can see that. I, I do want to stress that I I don't think that was done disrespectfully. Oh, no, and no, no, it no, would no, have no, been no, really not. easy for it to have been. Right. It was yeah. handled extremely well. Yeah. I, like, I'm glad they went to the NAACP Absolutely. with this and said, uh, you know, I'm sure they talked about the fact that he wasn't going to be put in any kind of facial prosthetics. Right. You know, the fact that they were going to use like, his The blackness. prosthetic is going to be his hand. That's right. it. Right. Oh, that hook. That hook I mean, and nasty. then the bees. Yeah, but. and the bees. But, you know, I, I just, I appreciate that they, that they did that. Yeah. Um, not that it's a good thing by any stretch, but I appreciate that they, they left that in and they, they, they said, okay, we're going to explore the black man as society's mm-hmm. monster a little bit, which had been done throughout the history of horror movies. Really had. I mean, starting with like the Amos and Andy stuff, starting mm-hmm. in silent films with Birth of a Nation. Yeah. To anyone else, Birth of a Nation is just a movie. To black people, it's a horror film. Mm-hmm. It absolutely is. And horror noir specifically states that. They're like, this is, this was how we lived our lives. We are in fear of white people and being lynched. You know? So, you know, they may not see, uh, a black person may not see horror the same way we do. Right. You know, because they have a very different cultural experience. Different lens. Yeah. Completely different lens. Because they have that different experience. Mm -hmm. So, and it's another one of those reasons why, I specifically tell people, if you want to get rid of your racism, travel, get out of the country, get out of the city, get out of the town you live in, see something different, Mm -hmm. see how other people live. Um, Because I guarantee you're going to love a lot of it. You're not going to like some of it, but you're going to love a lot of it. Like when I went to Asia, Mm -hmm. super eye opening, like just the fact that their milk is different, Hmm. you know, because it's not, it's still pasteurized but not to the point where it loses anything they're not right. skimming anything out of it like we're not getting even our whole milk is like weak yeah you know uh because they like yank all the fat out of it mm-hmm. for cheese you know and they they boil it to death they pasteurize it right homogenize it and it's no i'm sorry give me fresh milk because it is so delicious <laughs> yeah it is it's one of the best things and you know try other people's food you know, try and experience. Damn it. <laughs> <sighs> it's been weeks. There it is. <laughs> but experience things outside of your tiny little worldview because mm-hmm. I guarantee you're going to love it. I guarantee it. So, anyway, on that note, <laughs> if you need to email us, get in contact with us, lay, egg, lay eggs in our brain, pour bees in our mouths. Don't, Don't do, do that. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> Email us at bob at candycodedrazor.com. You can find us on the web at candycodedrazor.com. I did just put up a blog post with the schedule for nightmares. Oh, nice. Yeah. 
So like the whole thing, the entire press release with everything that's going to be shown, all that, all that awesome. good stuff right there. So it's all right out there on the website. Uh, you can also find us on uh, Instagram at, uh, at CCRB underscore podcast. You can find us on our Patreon at patreon.com slash candy coated razor. Uh, please give us money because that way <laughs> we can do cool shit like actually go see first run movies instead of you know reviewing things that are 30 years old. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, what did I forget? Facebook. Facebook.com slash candy coated razor blades. <laughs> and RMRC, you can come talk with me in our Discord. Talk to me about how you get turned on by Tony Todd's whispers. Come talk to me about rumors and urban legends. Come talk to me about weird 90s horror movies because that 90s and the early 2000s are my era. Um, I love the current stuff too, don't get me wrong, but that is where my heart is. I'm going to make you watch Elves. Oh, I want to watch Elves. <laughs> I'm so excited to watch Elves. <laughs> uh, on that note, kids, we love Stephanie. We miss her this week. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>